Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, as we come into this place tonight, Lord, I pray that it will not be a matter of fanaticism and emotionalism, Lord, that, that will not lead us anywhere. God, I pray that we be led by the Spirit of God in this place tonight. God, that is who we desire tonight. Your Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, to lead us and guide us and direct our path. Lord, we step aside right now with every agenda that we have, Lord, that you can have your way in this place. God, move as you wish in this place, I pray tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. You guys may be seated. Tonight we're going to worship in just a little bit, but I wanted to just share a word with you before we, we got that far along. And uh, Pastor Mark told me this past week, he's led two people to the Lord in the last, last week. And the church was full on Sunday. There was standing room only. And, um, you know, I just want to thank you, Pastor Mark, for your... You, I just want to tell you both, you and Billy both. Guys, thank you for linking up arms with me. I mean, you guys have been uh, just stewards, but you've also been battle warriors with me. And at times, maybe when I feel like I can't battle any further, you know, I look to you guys and, and I get that word of encouragement and that, that, the, that spirit-breathed word that just gives me life for the next moment. So I want to thank you two guys. Thank you guys so much. Tonight, as I share with you just briefly, and then we are going to have a time of worship, but I wanted to share first because I believe that, that worship is critical to where God has us tonight. And if you haven't been baptized and you want to be baptized, make sure you sign up on the back there. It doesn't matter what church you go to. If you're, you go to the Baptist church, you go to the Nazarene church, wherever you go to church, you are welcome to, to sign up on the baptism. We'll have Pastor Billy b- baptizing young people up here. Pastor Mark, if he, if he has people that need to be baptized, we're going to just make that, and it's going to probably be somewhere no- towards the end of this month and, and into the next month. I'm not positive. I haven't got an exact date yet, but we're talking about probably, but definitely before the end of September, okay? So... Someone this week asked and they said, and they were asking this about Greg, and they said, Greg seems to always be asking for more of us. He's always demanding more. He's demanding new surrender, new amounts. He's always wanting us to give just a little bit more. And I'm not talking about in the offering plate. Giving more of ourselves. And I will tell you tonight, the answer to that is yes. I am asking for more. I'm asking for God to do more in our lives. I don't want us to be satisfied. I don't want us to be just sitting back going, you know what, I'm content right here where I'm at. If you want a cup of coffee and a cookie and you want me to pat you on the back, you are at the wrong place. See, I want you to think about the great coaches that we've ever known. They didn't, when their team was there for the Super Bowl, the, 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 the coach did not sit them down and go, okay guys, eat a big fat meal, feel good, and go out and play there. No, you know what he did? 
Up until the last minute, he was challenging them. He was saying, listen, this is what we need to do. This is what you need to do better. This is, you know, we cannot let up. We have to be prepared for what, what the enemy is going to give us. And you know what? That's what I'm trying to do in our lives today is this. I said it weeks back because I listened to, to uh, Pastor uh, Scott. I say Pastor Scott. <laughs> he is he's my, Pastor Scott, he is my, Pastor Scott. And, and, and this pastor down in Mexico, and he said this, he says, he told him, he goes, guys, I am not here to be your best buddy. I am not here to be your best friend. I am here to get you through that narrow gate. And I want to tell you tonight, that is my purpose. You know, I love you all. But more important than being your friend. See, you know, it's just like a parent. Or it's like a teacher. If you're their buddy... You're their best friend. You will never make an impact into their life. Isn't that right, teachers? Be their best buddy and see how far you get with being a teacher. I'm telling you right now that God is calling us into this hour. He's saying, listen, get ready. I'm getting a church that's going to have to get ready. I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about a church, a worldwide church that God's raising up in this hour. He's saying, listen, this is what I want to do in these last days. Do you want to be a part of it or do you want to be on a cruise ship? Exactly. Somebody said to me, he said, a cruise ship. Yeah, because all we want to do is get in the buffet line. If you want a buffet, you're at the wrong place. If you want to get on a battleship and you want to hear the, the, the thunder of the, uh, the, the cannons, then you've come to the right place. I would challenge you tonight that you have not given all that God wants you to give. Because you know why I can say that? Because He wants more of me. I will challenge you tonight that you have not sacrificed all that God is calling you to sacrifice. He wants more of me. I would challenge you tonight that America, we do not know what it looks like even to risk our lives for salvation for Christ. It's happening in Iraq right now. People are fleeing to the mountains. I believe that's biblical. They're fleeing for their very lives because the enemy's coming along and mowing them down with machine guns. I've said to myself, even in the last couple of days, God, am I even really a Christian? Am I really even saved? When I see these men and women and what's going on in their lives, children being dying, being headed right there for the sake of Christ. And I say, am I even saved? God, I have to do more. I can't sit back in this, this which you've given me and just be comfortable. He says this, I have come to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. I was thinking about Peter's life. We stopped last, last week with Peter's life. One person said not too long ago to me, and said, you know, Peter's life was, he, he wasn't like all the other disciples. His, his life was a little bit rosier. Because he was married. He stayed in Jerusalem. He didn't have to go through all the things that the other disciples went through. And then I thought about it, and I, I, I thought, well, wait a second. He was hung on a cross upside down. What led up to that? Peter was the one 
who defended the inclusion of the Gentiles in the Jerusalem church that got him persecuted. He was put in jail many times in Jerusalem. After being imprisoned several times in Jerusalem, Peter then left with his wife, his missionary wife with him. They left and they went to Babylon. And there they ministered to Jews in Babylon. He was a missionary to that group. He took his wife then to Rome during Nero when he was persecuting the Christians. And the, and the historian Eusebius says this about this relationship between Peter and his wife. It says that Peter was put in the most terrible prison there was in Rome to die. He was encouraging himself every single day. On the final days of his life, it says that he was cast into the, this prison, Mamertine, for nine months. In absolute darkness, he endured monstrous torture, monocled to a post. In spite of all the suffering Peter was subjected to, he converted his jailers, Martinius, and 47 others before he was slain in 67 AD. And as his wife was being led away to die along with him, before he even died, it says this concerning the last hours of his life, it says this, when seeing his own wife led out to die, he rejoiced because of her summons and her return home. He called to her very encouragingly and comfortingly, addressing her by name and saying, O thou, remember the Lord. This was the easy life. This was the easy life of an apostle. A disciple of Christ. See, our lives don't begin until our last breath here. I want to offer you tonight that this life that we are in right now is not true life. See, until we're whisked away into eternity... This life is just but a test. It is just a trial. And will we pass or will we fail? It is yet to be determined. See, we have to go through the entire life. We have to be able to walk this out with Christ. It is not just this little, this little thing I said, Oh Jesus, forgive me, and I don't want to go to hell. And that's going to carry me through the rest of my life. No, it means that when I make that commitment, I accept Jesus Christ into my life. I say, you know what? He is in my life. The Holy Spirit has become my, my purpose. He is going to lead me. And as I begin to step out, as I begin to walk, I begin to walk this life out. It's no longer about me. It's about Him. See, true worship isn't lip service. True worship isn't just getting to hear a great song. True worship isn't listening to a great musician. True worship will cost you something. True worship you will be willing to die for. True worship means sacrifice. And you say, well, well that doesn't make sense. I've never heard that before, Greg. I want you to understand, in, in Romans 12.1 it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, I urge you, in light of God's mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. See, this Tweety Bird right here, 
is not my spiritual act of worship. I can sing all about Jesus on Sunday. And on Monday, I don't know Him. I can sing all kinds of beautiful songs about what He's done for my life. But maybe I have never sacrificed in my heart. I don't know Him. See, getting to know Christ means this. Meaning true worship means it's going to cost me something. I may have to bleed. See, Revelation 4.11 says, For Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure... They are created. You are not created for your own pleasure. If you're going through this life right now and everything you do revolves around making you happy, you are not living for Christ's pleasure. I want you to know that right now. You're living for your pleasure. You're living for the world. See, one of the biggest problems, I was talking to Billy about this this week, he goes, you know, Greg, I see people that really say they love the Lord, but then the Lord showed me, you know what? Truly, though, they're, they're adulteresses. Because they say they love Jesus, but they love the world more. See, that's our problem. We love, we love to say, I love Jesus. But I love the world. You can't be in both camps. And I will tell you this, this camp is not the one that's going to hold you. With Christ, you're going to have to remain in this. You have to abide in this. This other one is the default place. It's just like the big wide gate. See, I'm trying to get you through the narrow gate. I want you all. I don't want anybody in this room. I don't want anybody in this room not to make it through that narrow gate. I want you to be there. We are not accidents. We are His delight. We are His pleasure. We are, in that Greek word there where it says, and for thy pleasure they are created. That Greek word means preferred will. We are His preferred will. He loves us. He loves you. He desires you. He wants you to be there for His pleasure. You know what? Just think about that just for a minute. And for thy pleasure, God's pleasure, you were created. For His pleasure. Everything we do in life, pleasure for Him. If we're doing it as unto Him. If we've sacrificed as unto Him. Not when we're living in the world. We're not in His pleasure. But in for His pleasure, we are created. Those who truly want to be great in the kingdom didn't have the most enjoyable life. I want you to look at this. Jesus. Jesus' life, 33 years old, was nothing but a death march to the cross. Well, that sounds like a prosperous life. John the Baptist. Greatest man, Jesus said, ever be born of a woman. His head was on a platter from a young girl's whimsical request of the king by the time he's around 30 years old. See, true worship, true joy is bringing him pleasure. I want you to understand tonight this. There are two men tonight that gave God pleasure. John the Baptist, when his life was poured out, he gave God pleasure. When Jesus poured out his life, the Bible says it pleased him to crush him. Oh man, that doesn't go along with my theology about how great things are supposed to be. 
Well, all you probably need to do is spend a little time in Israel and you'd find out how life really is. Or go spend a couple days in Iraq when you're running up and down the hills trying to keep, keep your mouth from drying out at 120 degrees. I'm telling you guys, what we see right here in America is not the Christianity that the rest of the world knows about and that what God is talking about. This, to me, sometimes is like Disneyland. And I appreciate that, Lord. Thank you for allowing us that. But in some ways, it is a huge distraction because it pulls us away from the purposes and the plan of God that you were made for His pleasure, not your own. I am not made for my pleasure. Guys, do you get that? See, when somebody wants to fight me over saying, I need to have a beer and I think I should be able to have a beer, it's not for my pleasure. See, that's what we're missing. We get it all about us. Well, I have a right. Yes, you do. I have a right to do this. I can do all these things. Yes, you can. But it's not, you're not living for your pleasure. You're living for His. This pleasure. Everything I do should revolve around that. See, I'm not taking Jesus along with me on this journey. That's not how it works. I don't bring Jesus along with my life and say, hey, here's how it's going to be. He says, listen, I, Greg, I want you to be in orbit around me. Amen. I am the centerpiece. Not you bringing me along. And let's have a good time in this life. No one will worship. No one will worship through the great battles of tomorrow who complains in the mere skirmishes of today. See, when God was calling the people of Egypt, or people of Israel, out of Egypt, He said it to them in two scriptures, Exodus 5.3 and Exodus 7.16. He made this command when He was telling Pharaoh, He says, let us go and worship in the wilderness. See, God wanted them to go to the wilderness for His pleasure. See, but you know what happened? <laughs> they thought it was about them. It's not. See, the Lord was saying, listen, I have, I'm going I'm to give you freedom. I'm going to give you deliverance. Not so you can go expend it on yourself, but so you can worship me out here in the wilderness. See, we've got this. We got the picture all wrong. He did all this. He this deliverance, this severing of, of, of at the Red Sea was so that not because, so they could live this glorious and wonderful life. It was so that they could go and worship God in the trueness of His Spirit. But you know what happened? They got out there and they began to mum, murmur and complain. Look at we should we would have been better off in Egypt. See, you know what happened. They forgot about worshiping. See, when we're in the midst of a struggle, when we're in the midst of a battle, when we're in the midst of a trial or a test in our life, and some of you are, as I, I will tell you this right now, if I don't worship, I'm going to be murmuring. If I don't worship, I'm going to be complaining. And I will tell you this, the only people I know in the Bible that got swallowed up by the earth were not adulterers, not drinkers, but murmurers and complainers. God's purpose in the wilderness was to perfect their worship. God's purpose in your trial is to perfect your worship. 
God's purpose in, his, in your testing is to perfect your worship. Are you guys getting the idea of what I'm saying here? All these things that go on around us are created to, to perfect. You know what? The enemy, remember I said last week that, that, that um, Jesus told Peter, he says, the devil has demanded you so that he can sift you. And he was asking for complete control. That sifting, that testing, everything that goes on in our life where the enemy tries to do everything he can to destroy us. If we don't worship, we will be overcome. See, worship is the shield. It is the protection against the enemy. Worship puts back the enemy in his place. True worship. And when you're worshiping, when you've been in a struggle, and you're in a trial, and you're in the the time of your life, when you begin to worship, I will tell you right now that the protecting shield of of, of God begins to stand up. There are angels all around. You know, I was listening to someone the other day. I was watching this thing, and they were talking about this. This woman had stood up, and she was confronting the man of God. And she said, um, you wouldn't be so big if that angel who's standing behind you wasn't standing right there. And I thought, whoa, see, that's what we're talking about. That's who comes to our rescue. That who, that's who comes when we, we're in these times of trouble. Does that mean it's going to get over fast? I want it to, but it normally doesn't. The enemy would like to drag it on as long as he can. See... I'm going to read just a little quote from this book. It's called The Three Battlegrounds by Francis Frangipane. And it says this, The Lord knows the heart that will worship in affliction will continue to worship in the land of plenty. Hang on a second. I messed it up. How come that's not right? All right, we'll read that instead, okay? <laughs> Actually, give me one second. I'm gonna, we're going to go there in just a second. He says this first. I think he says that later, okay? The Lord knows the heart that will worship Him in affliction, will continue to worship in the land of plenty. Did you hear me on that? The Lord knows that the heart that will worship in affliction will worship in the land of plenty. For what we bleed during an assault from the enemy or difficult circumstances is the true measure of our worship. What comes out of my heart during times of turmoil or pressure is what is in us. Hidden deep during times of ease. If you are a true worshiper, your spirit will exude worship to God no matter what the battle you are fighting. I'm going to read it one more time because I think maybe some of you missed it. The Lord knows the heart that will worship in affliction will continue to worship in the land of plenty. For what we bleed during an assault from the enemy or difficult circumstances is the true measure of our worship. What comes out of my heart during times of turmoil or pressure is what is in us, hidden deep during times of ease. If you are a true worshiper, your spirit will exude worship to God no matter what the battle you are fighting. In spiritual worship, in spiritual worship war, warfare, worship is the wall that surrounds our souls. It protects our mind, will, and emotions. The areas that must be protected during the battle. See, God says this in Deuteronomy 8.2. He says, I did all these things in the wilderness. 
I did all, I mean, you wandered around for 40 years. I did all these things to test you and to humble you, to see what was in your heart. The children of Israel complained and murmured, what sin has caused God to open up the ground upon them. What I'm telling you tonight is this, that God uses this life. This life is just a test. This life is just to see if we're willing to pass the test to go into the next life, to the real life. This is 70 years. We have 70 billion years of comfort. See, some of us today, we'll choose 70 years of comfort over 70 years of eternity with Christ. What you learn in the times of trouble, when you bleed, that becomes your worship. Worship is what we bleed. Romans 12.1 says, Now, brothers, I'm reading this again to you. Brothers and sisters, young and old, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Lip service will no longer do. Lip service, the Bible says, they drew, new, they drew near to me, but their hearts were far, far from me. There are two types of people that come to church, and especially, I believe, even right here. There are the seekers. See, there are those in the church that come just looking. They're hoping that they can find an answer. And what the church has done is we have developed the business model. We have developed the, 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 the management model from the world. And we said, listen, make Jesus so appealing that no one could resist Him. Let's make Him look. So let's make Him. You know, if you, if you come to Christ, you're going to be rich. I think I hear that on TV almost every day. On the Christian channels. <laughs> or, if you do all this, you're going to live in health and you're, everything's going to be great. Just do this stuff. See, we've developed that same mindset. We've, we've, we've made Jesus, let's make Jesus so appealing to the masses that that's how we can get people to come in. And we've done a good job of it. Unfortunately, they don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus of the Word. They know Jesus that we've created. Some have said maybe it's just that spirit of the Antichrist already at work. See, we want to make Jesus so palatable. We don't want to talk about how He casted out demons. We don't want to talk about the blood of atonement. We don't want to talk about how Jesus says that if you truly love me, this is what you're going to do. We just want to make it appealing to everyone so everybody can come to Jesus and never know Him. See, the disciples had made Jesus their first love. There's a difference between these two people. A disciple says, everything I do, my life revolves around Christ. And the two people that I said many weeks back, I said, we have to get together, are the seekers and the disciples. And then there's a third type of person that has no longer become a seeker. And I'm going to tell you right now, every one of us goes through this. I believe that before you come to Tuesday night, probably around noon, or maybe even earlier, because maybe you and your wife are fighting, and you're, you're, you're saying, okay, we're going to come to service tonight. We're going to be at Ignite because we know that's where God wants me to be. And so at noon, we're wrestling with our wife and we're already saying, okay, now I can't go because I don't feel righteous. Some of you are sitting in your house and you're going, man, there's a good show on tonight. I could watch Survivor. It's not started yet, by the way. 
The world, or we go, oh, you know what? There's just other things I could be doing. And everything, everything crowds out where we know we're supposed to be. And what happens is, if we listen to the enemy, that's who's speaking, we begin, begin tuned to the enemy's voice. And what I'm going to tell you is this, we can, we can either tune that voice in, or we can tune that voice out. Change the frequency. Okay, yeah, I heard all you said, devil. Uh, you're right, I'm, I'm not righteous. My righteousness is as filthy rags. You're right. But you know what? Jesus Christ gave me His righteousness. I stand on that. See, you know, every time he tries to tell me something, oh, you know what? Oh, oh, did you see how that person looked at you? Did you see what that, did you see how that woman was dressed tonight? Oh, turn that. Jesus says, I can do all things through Christ. It strengthens me. You know, see, all of a sudden, we just got to get our voice tuned. And you know what? The, the, the enemy will try to mimic the voice of the Holy Spirit. But the key is, is that if you're listening to the enemy all week long, and you're giving in to the enemy all week long, eventually, not, you don't just listen, you begin to obey. And I will tell you, there are people that sit in churches here, all over the place, sit in the church, and they have disobeyed the, 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 the word of the Lord because they've listened to the enemy all week long, and as he's speaking to them, they're cussing under their breath. Now you say, oh, I'm not, I would never do that. But you know what? They're, they're, they, look at, they look at the preacher or they look at what's going on and say, well, that isn't, that's not real. They come to Tuesday night and they go, you know what? I can't even believe that he, I, I can't believe what he's telling me. Now there are times in our life, I want you to know that Pastor Mark and I talked about this, this just even this morning, about times where you just go, you know, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm striving so hard. And you want to do all this stuff for God and you just go, and you, you'll maybe leave a service and it's like, what am I doing? That's the enemy going, yeah, what are you doing? You haven't done any good. You've got, we, I, I'm telling you right now, I have to take captive that. And you know how you do that? It's through worship. Worship shields us. Mind, will, and emotions. It protects our soul. Worship protects our soul. We put ourselves in position with real worship. Not lip service, but a worship. Maybe when we're in the most dire situation in our lives, we begin to pray out. We begin to cry out to God. That's true worship. A worshiping heart takes all the past experiences that have shaped us and fashioned us and all our reactions to these things, our hurts, our wounds, our bitterness, our anger. And then what it does is says this, I'm going to put it on the altar. See, I become, I become that sacrifice. Everything I am, my mind, will, and emotions, all my hurts, my pains, I lay it up on that altar and say, God, you know, here I am. Now, God, I'm not, I'm not just going to just put, put, put that on the altar. I'm going to put me on the altar. God, here, listen. Do this to me. Sac- I want to become the sacrifice. I want to become worship. When you look at me, God, I want it to be a pleasing aroma. I don't want it to be a foul smell because everything I do doesn't look good to you because I haven't given it to you. See, if I don't come up here and I don't give him all my hurts, angers, my bitterness, then you know what? That worship that I try to present to him has an awful smell in the spirit. But when I give it to him, I say, you know what? I'm going to love even though they don't love me. I'm going to love those who hate me. I'm going to love those who despise me. Mmm. That becomes worship. When we let go of that bitterness and that anger, God says, that's the kind of worship I'm talking about.
Now I'm going to give you read this real quick to you. In these closing moments of this age, the Lord will have a people whose purpose for living is to please God with their lives. In them, God finds His own reward for creating them. That's that becoming His pleasure. They are His worshipers. They are on earth only to please God. And when He is pleased, they are pleased. The Lord takes them farther and through more pain and conflicts than any other man. Outwardly, they seem smitten of God and afflicted, yet to know they are His beloved. When they are crushed like a petal of the flower, they exude worship, the fragrance of which is so beautiful and rare that angels weep in quiet awe at their surrender. They are the Lord's purpose for creation. One would think that God would protect them, guarding them in such a way that they would not be marred. Instead, they are marred more than most other men. And indeed, the Lord seems pleased to crush them, putting them into grief. For in the midst of their physical and emotional pain, their loyalty to Christ grows pure and perfect. And in the face of persecutions, their love and worship toward God becomes all-consuming. That's what I'm talking about with worship tonight. You know, Jesus told this story and He said, I think it's in Matthew chapter 13. He says, a merchant went out looking for a pearl of great price. And when he found it, he sold everything he had to, to have that. To, get to, to be able to buy it. And for years, in my, I have always thought that meant me just giving everything up. That's what God's saying there. You've you got to just sell it all out. And to a certain degree, I believe He is telling us that. We have to sell all. But I want to offer you to the, tonight this. Is, I was listening, re- reading two commentaries on this portion of Scripture, and they both said this. The merchant is not you and I. The merchant is Jesus. He is looking for that great pearl. The great pearl is the church. And what I want you to understand about that pearl is this. See, a pearl is something that came out of something living. Think about this for a minute. The the muscle that created that because of pain that was being inflicted in that, in that muscle. See, out of pain, God's saying, listen, out of pain, I'm getting ready to create a perfect church. One without spot or wrinkle. One that has come together. A whole city that says, you know what? We may not agree on every little point, but we do agree this. We want to come together as one. Pastor Billy, Pastor Mark, we want to come together as one and say, listen, God, we, we know that as we come together, there is a powerful force in the spiritual realm that begins to be dispersed. The enemy hates that kind of unity. 
And that pearl is Jesus, that merchant. He says, I am selling all. I'm giving my life for that church. See, Ephesians 5, I believe, 5.25 says that that's what he did. He gave himself for her to present himself a perfect bride. He's doing that for us. He's saying, listen guys, we can be that. Or we can just continue to go through the motions and feel okay and think everything's okay when it's not. Or you know what? In the midst of that pain, in the midst of, I think about that little muscle and how he continues to secrete and that living organism creates that pearl. God is saying this, out of pain, I'm creating a church. Out of the death and the wounds of those who are dying for faith today, for Sahid who's in an Iran prison, for those today in China that probably lost their lives, and we sit flippantly at times and go, well, I didn't feel good, or it was too hot, or I didn't, didn't get enough to eat, or this. I think to myself, Lord, even today when I was going through a circumstance, I thought to myself, I just remembered Sahid for just a moment in that prison in Iran, and I thought, Lord, man, I have something to praise you about. Even as bad as it can be, I'm not laying on a cement floor. In fact, if they prisoned, imprisoned me in this country, I'd probably still have my TV and everything else, and I'd probably live pretty good. How foolish! Tonight, as we go to worship, I want you tonight to understand that God is calling us to worship to the place where, you know, in that place where you're bleeding, you're hurting, you're wounded. Maybe, you've, maybe somebody hurts you some other time in their life. It's time that you say, you know what, I let that go, and I present myself a sacrifice. My body, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is my spiritual act of worship. Just close your eyes for a moment. Heavenly Father, we just thank You for Your Word tonight. And Lord, I just pray that this Word, that You would seal it within us tonight, God, that we would not leave this place. And, and Lord, even as we move into this time of worship, I pray, God, that You would reveal everything within us that does not belong. God, you are, You're not condemning us. You're just convicting us. And sometimes we mistake the two things. The devil condemns. He says, you're not righteous. I just tell him back, you're right. My righteousness is, fully, fully, is, is filthy rags. But you know what? In Christ Jesus, I am made new. Tonight, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us your heart on worship. God, make us not worshipers with lip service, but worshipers who worship from our, our hearts. We thank you tonight for it, Lord, in your name. Amen. Let's stand. This first song, I, 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 I feel like that we have, we, we've kind of come down a little bit, but I want us to just come back up a little bit because I really believe that tonight the Lord wants to set people free. Some of you are walking in things. God says tonight, listen, I'm going to release you from that. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to deliver you from that because you know what? If you want to be like the children of Israel, you want to go from bondage 
to the wilderness so that you can truly worship Him. That's what He's saying. Do you want to come from bondage? Do you want to really be a worshiper? Do you want to perfect that worship? God wants us to be worshipers like that tonight.